Welcome to the Queen Silk Podcast. This is episode 5, Mother of the American Dream. Our woman of the week is Eleanor Roosevelt, who lived from 1884 to 1962, and we are sourcing her story as told by herself in the autobiography of Eleanor Roosevelt. Today's music is selections from Ruben Goldmark's Allegro non troppo manco spirito, piano quartet opus 12. This weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and we are so grateful we were able to feature Eleanor Roosevelt and her love for the young men and women who serve our country. As you listen today and even into the weekend, we invite you to consider the blessings and freedoms you enjoy and share them with us using the hashtag MyAmerica or hashtag MyAmericanDream. Welcome to the Queen Silk Podcast. This is Anne. This is Tammy. This is Courtney. And today we are talking about drumroll. <laughs> Eleanor Roosevelt. That was not as good as when we did Marie Antoinette, but that's okay. It's all right. We don't even have a table today, so no. Today we are up at Tammy's new house. We call it Queen's Cottage, and we're painting. So. Our table is a five-gallon bucket of primer. <laughs> if you don't believe us, check out our Instagram and see the pictures. We'll post them. But da da da. So we're talking about Eleanor Roosevelt today, and um, we're very excited. She's one of my favorites. Um, hers. So I read her biography. It took me a year because I actually read the book rather than just listening on Audible. This is not a sponsored message. Um, but it was such a such a really cool thing for me because unlike the biographies that you read you actually get to hear their voice mm-hmm. um, and you get to see their own reflections on how they did things and how they changed things and um, Eleanor Roosevelt is just I don't know I almost love her more because of that because mm-hmm. you get to actually see what she thought and what she felt which is really really cool for me so I'm very excited to be talking about her today yeah there's more personality in an autobiography anyway because a biography is more just the facts, whereas an autobiography is, this is what I was thinking and feeling in the moment, and I think hopefully we get to portray some of that with Eleanor. Yeah, I'm really excited. So, um, let's go ahead and talk about her story a little bit. So, Eleanor Roosevelt, she grew up in just before the Depression, so she's kind of turn of the century. Um, she is the granddaughter of Teddy Roosevelt. That's pretty exciting. So Eleanor Roosevelt, she is really interesting hearing her own words and her own thoughts. We've kind of been talking about how um, different the different queens make their own decisions or they have decisions made for them. So we've seen um, Isabella who chose to go marry Ferdinand. We have Marie Antoinette who chose not to be queen. Um, in a lot of ways, and then we have Cleopatra, who chose to be queen, chose to do to do everything she could, and then eventually she ended up choosing to take her own life because that was the last option that would save her dignity. Um, but today, we've got a woman who had a huge impact on the world, but a lot of the decisions that she made in her life were made for her before she really had an opportunity to make decisions at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of her background, I would call it, if, if we had a thing as royalty in America, I would definitely call her background a little bit of like American royalty. She came from an upper class American family. Um, 
and a lot of her decisions were made for her. So when she was a kid, um, she went to school in, in England, um, and her teachers were chosen for her, her curriculum was chosen for her. She didn't even really decide that she was gonna go to school there. And then she went on a trip across Europe, um, and that was, that was a decision that also was made for her. Were, they, were these good and useful decisions that were going to help her grow? Yes. And were these decisions that were going to help her develop into the woman she would eventually become? Yes. And she, she learned lots of really good things. Um, one of my favorite things is uh, one of her tutors that ends up taking her through part of her tour through Europe. Mm -hmm. um, she said to her, if you go to a country and you can't speak the language, you are participating in that country and that culture as if you are deaf and dumb. Um, because there's a whole nother level of that culture that you're not able to participate in. Mm -hmm. And so she, that's part of where she learned, um, I know French and Italian for sure, um, and then she always spoke English. I'm not sure how many, she doesn't really talk about her accomplishments. She's a very, very humble woman, mm -hmm. to be honest. Like, she's very honest, but very humble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a little frustrating. I wish she'd brag more, <laughs> but know more about what she did. But she's still very the queen. A little uh, very cool person. I do like too that through this whole process, even though the decisions were made for her, she was learning a lot of skills. Mm -hmm. And I think if they had done it slightly differently and it used her in the decision making process, even just mm -hmm. saying we're going on a trip, here are five countries to choose from, pick two. Like yeah. even if they had given her slightly more opportunity to make decisions, I think she would have progressed faster as the incredible woman that she was. And we'll mm -hmm. talk about that later, but just that concept of like beginning her experience starting it very very small and increasing it gradually through decision making what's that word decision making teaching <laughs> teaching <laughs> like how to make decisions confidence in making, yeah. making decisions but you have to like teach first how to do it and then build on it yeah. so I think if they had started there I think we would have seen even more well I think it's really interesting too that like we, we talk a lot about Machiavelli and the prince and definitely American society European society all societies have kind of a rule book of what makes you a well-rounded educated worthwhile individual mm -hmm. to be in the upper class system mm -hmm. so they're not asking her opinion about these things but it's just assumed that you are going to be a leading lady in your life. You're going to be useful. So you mm. need certain background and accomplishments and experiences. Yeah. So yes, you need to go off to boarding school. And yes, you need to take a European world tour. Like that's just yeah. totally, that was yeah. like check mark things. Yeah. A lot of even my friends from college, um, from different countries, you finished college or you finished high school and you did a European tour. So whether that was backpacking, you know, starting in Peru and then backpacking into Europe or whether that was like five star hotels across everything, um, it looks different for each person. But it was almost like an assumed this is what you do when you are like you have accomplished, uh, you have finally stepped into the beginning of being an, an adult, mm -hmm. you have completed your basic education. Yeah. And now you need real experience, and we're going to expose you in a real way to culture. It's like a rite so, of passage. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now that you guys, meant, now that you mentioned that, she definitely did that for her kids, too. Like, mm -hmm. it, it was a given, like, you're going to go to Europe, and you're going to do this. So it's like huh. when you hit a certain benchmark in society, mm -hmm. it's just like, there's just some things that, this is what you need to experience to be set up for the future. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I agree with Tammy. Like, uh, there is such a value in being included in those conversations mm-hmm. because who knows what other culture she may have been drawn to mm-hmm. that yeah. could have changed her insights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yes. So when she, so that's most of her youth is her education. I'm thinking when she was about 19 ish, I remember that she got married very young. Um, she like, even her social circles were somewhat defined for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she met, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt because they were within the same social circles. Um, and they began dating and then he asked her to marry him and she said yes like she's also a very practical woman (laughs) so she doesn't really talk about all of the romance behind their decision to get married um but but she states like yeah i liked him so i married him (laughs) can you imagine very cute like like how it feels even for us if we're dating someone that our families approve of uh and it's working out and it looks good and there's promise for the future it's like why not yeah. yeah, you know, so I can't imagine if she's happy with this individual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got a bright future. He looks great, yeah. <laughs> and my family approves. And yeah. you know, then yeah. then, then why let's not? go forward. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not even opposed to his company. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. like it's not an arranged marriage, and yet there were arrangements that led to this marriage. Which yeah, I think in this time frame, too, it was a little less romantic than, I mean, yeah, they didn't yeah. have Hallmark, guys. <laughs> TV wasn't, you know, like it is today. Yeah. So, um, I think it, like, I think, it, she makes me think of my grandmother. And I think my grandmother, yes, she loved my grandfather, mm-hmm. but her first husband, but... I think she was also a very practical woman where she had raised a lot of her siblings. She lived in a small town. Here was an Air Force officer that was going to take her places that was the same religion as her and had a great mother that taught her like some of the ways of the world Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of those basic necessity things that because they were his family were like landowners and farmers. And so she was practical about it. So mm-hmm. I kind of see like a little bit of my grandma <laughs> in some of the practicality here. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I I love it. Like very practical, but also very um, self-aware mm-hmm. and self-reflective. Mm-hmm. Um, so she talks, so after she gets married, she talks like, this is literally like the first two chapters and mm-hmm. then everything else is a lot about the Great Depression, the war, like the presidency, everything else that you kind of get the idea mm-hmm. that the country's interested in. Um, she is writing her autobiography both as a memoir, but also she wrote it in three different parts mm-hmm. um, so that she could help people understand, but also um, give a little bit more of a face to what was going on during the presidency mm-hmm. and during those years. because. Let's be let's be real honest. The war and the Great Depression were were only a hundred years ago. Like that's very recent in world history. Mm-hmm. Like that's not far away at all. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, for I, I keep thinking about this because it just boggles my mind. So World War Two for us is the same distance in time as the Civil War from Eleanor Roosevelt. Like. Wow. That's, that's Isn't really that crazy? crazy? Yeah. Like that's crazy. It's like it's intense. Like that's how close all of these events are. Like yeah. anyway, so just Oof. to put things in perspective. Mm-hmm. 
they're 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 very close to each other. And yeah. just to like put also the depression into perspective, like my grandmother lived after this time period, but she was still severely aware mm-hmm. of the struggle of the depression. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that filtered its way into my mom's generation a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I still am like, wow, my grandparents like had it rough sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? No, that's yeah. absolutely my grandparents were the same way and they would keep money in like little containers all around the house and mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if this is true or, or not, but I think they also kept it like under the mattress. Like it just was one of those things you well, just you don't trust save the bank. money, you don't trust the bank, you just that's how you are, and, and, you that, and you're that. frugal. You keep everything. Mm-hmm. Everything can be reused, remade, whatever, and you just keep yeah. it for the rest of your life. And that's until it has a purpose. Until it has a purpose, yeah. and if it doesn't, somebody else can use it and have a purpose for it. So I, I see that in even my generation, my parents' generation, just all of that. I see that concept of being frugal and reusing. And anyway, it's yeah, so it think, really affected people. I think this time yeah. period is still somewhat relevant even to our own time. It's like yeah. it's maybe lessening, I would say. Yeah. But I do feel that pop culturally, people know Eleanor's name. Yeah. yeah. They may not yeah, understand still. her whole history, but they know her name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's part of why we're talking about her today. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So, like I said, she's a little bit self-reflective as well. Um, and she actually goes to, so, a lot, like we said, a lot of the decisions were made for her, and there's a lot of things were, that were just expected. And one of the things that was just expected is that after you get married, you need someone to run your house for you. Because mm-hmm. that's not your job. In, in this level of society like mm-hmm. this is going to be something that like we hire a governess for you and yes you're going to have kids but your governess is going to raise is going to help you raise your kids like they're going to take care of things you get to live the social life mm-hmm. a little bit and she actually talks about that she goes back and she's like i missed out on a lot a lot of it mm-hmm. these are my words you know not hers but she missed out on a lot of um a lot of educational and like personal growth opportunities because she didn't get to develop leadership skills. She didn't get to learn how to manage a household. She didn't Mm -hmm. get to learn how to juggle things back and forth like she's seen other women do. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead, she let other people do that for her and they were hired to do that for her. It was expected that they would do that for her. And she comments on on that, and she says, "I like that was actually a disadvantage for me. Mm-hmm. I did not progress or grow as much as I would have if I had been able and in charge of my own household." Yeah, um, and we talked about that a little bit with Marie Antoinette, but even that concept of there literally were people in the palace to do those things like brushing your teeth, combing your hair, dressing you, etc., so that you didn't have to worry about that. You focused on, in her case, the political arena, in Eleanor's case and more of that social arena but it did a disservice to Eleanor for later on in her life when she needed to understand how to balance things how to problem solve how to create a schedule how to manage a household those are things that were extremely important especially in helping her husband run the country that kind of put her at a little bit of a disadvantage obviously she did an amazing job but it did kind of put her at a tiny bit of a disadvantage because somebody else was doing that for her instead of letting her make those decisions and be in charge of that yeah she even goes so far um so she's yeah so she's not really running her own house which like we said is kind of a little bit of a cultural thing going on at this point um and then um her husband 
Franklin, FDR. I, I never know how to refer to him because I'm like, oh, we've got Eleanor, now we've got Franklin. Like, <laughs> I don't know these people. Why am I calling them by their first names? <laughs> um, They're dead anyways. <laughs> We're Be as intimate as you want to be. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but so she goes through and she's like, well, um, this, these, some of her own words. She says, I was not developing any taste or initiative. I was simply absorbing the personalities of those around me and letting their tastes and interests dominate me. I looked at everything from the point of view of what I ought to do, rarely from the standpoint of what I wanted to do. There were times when I almost forgot that there was such a thing as wanting anything. So I took an interest in politics. It was a wife's duty to be interested in whatever interested her husband, whether it was politics, books, or a particular dish for dinner. Um, and at this time, FDR is, he's getting set up to be president. He doesn't realize that just yet. Um, but he's started taking an interest in politics. I believe he was a governor. I couldn't tell you if that's true or not. I know I read the book, but I forget small details. But I do know that he was running and he did serve in public office before he became president. Um, and he did a really good job in the one area that he was in. Um, and they, um, as he's beginning to run for president or to do well in the political arena, there's a guy named Louis Howe. Might be Louis, but Louis, we're going to go with Louis since we love Louis. Um, <laughs> he, um, he takes an interest in them and he eventually becomes like the planner for both of them. Like it really feels like a lot of the decisions he's making are specifically to put both Eleanor and FDR in in the spotlight. More so FDR initially, like he'll tell him, you need to go here and do this, you need to go there and do that. And FDR does it. But then I think, and this, this I think really shows a lot of Louis Howe's personal character. He recognizes that Eleanor has an amazing, opportunity to be a really like a force for good here as well um at this time uh i'm not i know she wanted to be a teacher and that she did teach for a little while um i'm not sure how long if that's still what's happening at this point i would guess not because with her husband being in politics that's going to be the more important thing going on there um and the more demanding job um but i also know that she's writing for the radio and she's developing, she is starting to develop her own voice. And Louis Howe recognizes this and he's like, okay, well, you are going to go because we need to boost your husband's appearance and personal appearance. We can market you as well. And so he sends her to go to different places where FDR would kind of maybe be a little bit more obvious that it's a political stunt, but for her to go, it looks very humanitarian mm -hmm. so i know that they go to um, a hospital initially they go to a, like a women's society meeting mm -hmm. um, and she goes and then louis like what did you see what did you observe and she's like uh, well they were friendly they were nice mm -hmm. and their her observations start off as like very shallow mm -hmm. um, and eventually they get a lot deeper um, there's one story where um, FDR is like, I need you to go visit this prison. And she's like, okay. So she goes to the prison and she's looking around and she's like, it's very neat. It's very clean. Um, it looks like it, 
they've got food on the counter, like they're serving people three meals a day. And he, FDR says, well, was there any food actually in the pots? Like, was it all covered or did you see it? She's like, well, this could, like, it had never occurred to her that when she would go on these visits, they might be putting on a show for her. Mm-hmm. And so she, um, after that, she's like, yeah, so I started looking in the pots to see what they're actually doing here and mm-hmm. what's actually happening and going on behind the scenes, mm-hmm. which well, I think is really cool. And building those problem-solving skills. Again, yeah. the skills that could potentially have helped her at the very beginning when making decisions about where to travel. Mm-hmm. But he's gradually teaching her how to understand and see past the obvious. And there's this it's this principle in behavior analysis. It's called reactivity. So we know if I just go into somebody's home or go into somebody's school, I am automatically observed as the person who is different. And every kid that I observe will act differently. It's mm. nine times out of ten the teacher says this is the best day they've had in years. And I'm like, I know. It's because I am here. And they know I am here. And they act yeah. differently because I am here. But we usually, that's why we schedule two, three, four observations. One at home, one at school. We do some stuff in the clinic with them one-on-one just to kind of see where they're at. But their reactivity decreases and they start to act more of who they are as time goes by. So like for Eleanor to start learning these skills now, very, very crucial because that is, it is a real thing. And even if you think about it, even when we started recording, guys, our very first time, we were very reactive. The whole thing that we were doing was, oh my goodness, we're so excited, we're so nervous, and we act a little bit different than we normally would just in general because we know people are listening. We know that other people are going to be learning from it. And that's the same principle that is happening with Eleanor. People can see that. They know she's coming in to evaluate them, so they're going to put on a show. Mm-hmm. I can put on a show really easily for 15, 20 minutes while somebody walks through. That doesn't mean I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. So I, I think that's a really interesting interesting observation. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, but that's what she did. And eventually, so Louis Howe not only took and saw all of her observations, and she'd report kind of to Louis. Mm-hmm. But then eventually, um, her husband, why am I calling him Louis and not, like, <laughs> I don't know him either. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> interesting observations on my own part. <laughs> um, but then, so then Franklin, Delano Roosevelt, um, would then, later he would have conversations with her, and he'd be like, so tell me about this place, tell me about that place. And she'd give him her, her opinion, like she saw this or that, and he really trusted her opinions and her thoughts on these things. Um, he also liked to test out his own arguments and theories on her, which occasionally became problematic. Um, one of my favorite stories, she goes through and she and... Um, so, but what she didn't realize is that he didn't always take his own position when having these arguments. He would argue the other side um, just so that he could have the conversation. And after one particular day, they'd had a really, really like nasty argument about, and she doesn't even remember what the topic was, um, but they'd had a really, really nasty argument the night before and she was like, no, this is very clearly the way that you have to go and do these things. And she's making her own argument for all the reasons why this is supposed to happen and everything. And um, and like, <laughs> and then she's like still kind of mad. Um, but the next day, he asks her to be the person. Like, so instead of having the governess come in, he's like, I would like you to like, 
some weight on this. It's going to be someone really important. I'd like you to be there. Mm -hmm. And so she happens to walk in. She was bringing tea. This is the part I remember. She's like, I was bringing tea. And she comes in and sets it down. But as she walks in, she hears Franklin, her husband, making the same argument to this man, this random ambassador, <laughs> that she made the night before. Oh my gosh. And the entire time he was on her side, he just wanted to make sure that he had thought through every single aspect of that argument mm -hmm. to make sure that he meant it. And even hearing her opinion on different things, like she's definitely a sounding board for him, mm -hmm. but not just a sounding board because she's better than that. She she argues back. Yeah. <laughs> and she and I think it's really cool that she's developed enough of her own opinions at yes. this point and her own perspectives on different things. Um, partly from her personal experience, partly because just of what she's learned. Like her husband has an interest in politics. She decided she should have an interest in politics. Mm -hmm. And so they can go back and forth on different issues because they both have like she's developed this strength in herself as well as mm -hmm. using his expertise too. Yeah. And um, what a gift really to have that. Oh, to yeah. be able to stand up for yourself, to make arguments, to think on your feet, to understand and listen to the other person's perspective, to then argue the opposite and to be confident in your in your opinion enough that you know when you're right. And she knew she was right. You know what I mean? That's yeah. just what an incredible gift. Whether that was developed or whether it just came because of who she was, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love this too because I think we really, especially with Marie Antoinette, like we really wanted her to be able to step confidently into this kind of position with her mm -hmm. husband and yeah. then rule together. And mm -hmm. that just didn't happen. So for like this to come together between mm -hmm. these two prominent people in society and they're going to be wonderful leaders in America. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's so cool from like even an intimate relationship <laughs> perspective that you can just share your opinion and go off after like heavy topics and debate together. Also, yeah. so I've been thinking like this whole like this is like debate 101 in a <laughs> class, right? Yeah. And usually it's always the smart kids, right? So I'm just saying, education, seriously, go to debate class. <laughs> yeah, Join oh, that yeah. club because mm -hmm. it teaches you invaluable skills. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned when I was in a club, <laughs> I, I didn't, I observed a lot, guys. <laughs> I think I naturally debate pretty well, but <laughs> I observed for some reason more in that class. But um, one of the things that I learned about debate is that always the negative Point of view is always easier 100 percent. Oh, it is yeah. so easy to demoralize the good mm -hmm. in any argument and so to be for him to be able to soundboard off of her and vice versa and build this argument to like be solid mm -hmm. this is what we need mm -hmm. um we need this this kind of like healthy debate <laughs> like maybe she was probably like angsty inside she's probably like yeah i could pour this tea over your head right now <laughs>
life progression really is. It's not hanging on one side versus the other and being completely polarized. We have to find the commonality, but to be able to debate, you have to like to build a solid, good debate. You have to be able to break down all those very easy, Mm -hmm. seemingly justifiable negatives. Yeah. So that is really strong. And I feel like that's what, this is what we need. Yeah. Well, and I love to, we talk a lot about Eleanor because obviously that's who we're talking about. We're talking about women. But to think about how supportive her husband was of her Mm -hmm. too, even if she didn't go out and do her own thing at this point in time, he still supported her and her developing skills. Mm -hmm. So in developing her ability to communicate, to argue effectively, to understand herself, to stand up for herself, and just the way that their relationship played a role in connecting them together and developing each other is so powerful because Franklin wouldn't have been where he was and Eleanor wouldn't have been where she was if they hadn't worked together to get to that point. And I think that's such a powerful relationship even when you talk about making change in the world. Doing it by yourself, yeah, you can do it. It's even better when you have somebody to do it with. Somebody who's, even if they don't agree with you on the same discussion topic, at least they can help you and support you and vice versa. And I love that interrelationship between the two of them. Well, I think there's something very interesting here too is that this time period in the United States, uh, women had their place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like she said women yeah. were supposed to be interested in what their husbands were interested, whatever that happened to be. Yeah. So they could have opinion, they could vote. Mm-hmm. Like there were some well, they, they can't they, vote yet. They can't yet. vote yet. So like again, she's this is going to be a, a thing. This she, is a thing, right? Yeah, that's actually one of the things. She's like, yeah, he was pro votes for women, so I was too. Like, <laughs> oh, but she so, had no personal that. interest so in it at all. Like, <laughs> okay, but see, so thinking about that, so yeah, not even the right to vote quite yet. Mm-hmm. But women had certainly their value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mostly in the home, from an everyday mm-hmm. American's point of view, like, the women took care of the home, they took care of the children, the man went out of the home and earned living. Um, yeah. Both were very much needed. They were, I mean, mostly equal in that kind of idea. But for her to be even in this, like, elevated status in society, she like she said, she didn't run a household. She wasn't really managing the kids. Mm-hmm. Like, so for him to give her... An equality of voice even in the home of opinion mm-hmm. that is really huge yeah. and for him to be pro women's votes hello there's a reason <laughs> the United States loves this man <laughs> well to be to be fair so votes for women came before yeah. the Great Depression yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and all of that but but for him to be pro pro women and pro education <laughs> yeah like, even her education would have been still pretty limited to like the arts the cultural like all of the very feminine arts. Feminine qualities. Like, we're not doing math and geography and history and politics. Mm -hmm. Like, can you learn about those? Yeah, we taught you how to read. (laughs) But at the same time, are you expected to be well-versed in those topics? Not so much. Are you going to be super welcome in those professions? Not so much. Even in this instance where she's, he asks her to wait on them and bring in the tea. Like, that Mm -hmm. just tells you exactly where, at that point in time, women were. Because that was it. And he didn't her. I'm telling you, she wanted to pour that tea on his head. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm sure she did. He did not tell her that this was like, okay, thanks, babe. Like, I really appreciate you being my soundboard. No, he was just like, yeah, I just made her angry. But I got what I wanted, so I'm good. I'm going to go sleep really well tonight. You know, 
while she can't sleep. Well, but it was also, like like she says, it was really to help him clarify his decision in his own mind. Like, he already knew that that was the decision and the stance he was going to take. But if he could make an argument better than hers, that mm-hmm. that right there is the real mark of esteem that I think he held for her. Is if she could make, a, or if he could make an argument better than hers, which he knew was similar to his. Stronger. And stronger mm-hmm. than yeah, if he could make something stronger, then he'd be like, well, maybe I'm in the wrong. And But he had to look at it and consider it from that different perspective mm-hmm. first, which I think, I mean, then you go through and you talk about, like, um, some of his policies. Like, we've got the New Deal. Mm-hmm. We've got the Civil Conservation Corps. Um, we've got, uh, and we have World War II, of mm-hmm. course. Like, like, honestly, this man was in, <laughs> it was in the office for um, how long? Like to fourteen years. Thirteen to fourteen years. Four different terms, and he like he and Eleanor uh, had like a huge impact on the whole the whole mm-hmm. country for a really long time. Like that is longer than any president before mm-hmm. and never I mean, after. To me, that's the real development of a generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thirteen, fourteen year old. You, by the time you're fourteen, honey, you have decided who you are. Yeah, yeah. so absolutely. that's incredible. That's yeah. a huge yeah. impact. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. I love too, like, 13 to 14 years across those huge topics are extremely mm-hmm. difficult, but they didn't yeah. waver in their relationship with each other. And I think that's the measure of a healthy, educated relationship because they were able to argue appropriately without yelling, screaming, punching, whatever. They were able to argue their thoughts appropriately, listen to the other person, debate, make decisions together. Mm-hmm. Without ever it ever coming to any huge issue, one of the fav- favorite couples that I've ever observed in my entire life, when they do start to get a little bit heated as they're going back and forth and they're talking about stuff, they ju- there's just this moment of pause. Like they start, you can feel the escalation rising, and then it just pauses. And they look at each other and they're like, "Are you yelling at me?" Just in this super calm, almost joking voice, and that just like breaks the silence. And they've been married for years, but I think it only works because they respect each other enough to say, I'm never going to yell at you. I understand and respect your opinion. I value you. And granted, Eleanor's may have come to to yells a few times. It sounds like she got a little bit angry at some of these. Yeah. But the fact that they valued each other enough to not ever disrespect each other by yelling at them in that way, I think is really, really powerful and made it so that they could last through these extremely troublesome times because... Mm -hmm. Even thinking about it, they're seen as like the mother and father of the country at the time, right? Mm-hmm. During the Great Depression when nobody has money, oh. their job is to help get food on the tables, right? Ah, yeah. that's terrifying. And even just in a basic family, that can tear families apart. Yeah. And yet they didn't. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I just, I love the relationship here between them. Even if they don't didn't necessarily quote-unquote love each other, I don't know one way or the other because I don't know them. But they had enough of a working relationship that they valued each other and could yeah. survive all of those experiences. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting that we ended up talking so much about relationships because it really wasn't <laughs> one of our focuses, but I nope. really love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, it, I just keep thinking about my grandma. So, you know, you're, just, you're thinking about, you're talking about uh, maybe not raising voices. Yeah. And I think so, my grandmother, like, she's yeah. a very controlled woman. She's like she put on dignity yeah like and she really was not raised maybe in that situation but this is this is something that she I don't know if it's just her personality or something that she saw and observed and put on for herself and um, and 
just owned throughout her life, but she just has dignity. So I honestly don't think I have ever heard her raise her voice, mm-hmm. but yeah. not because she's weak by any means. No. You know she has opinions. Yeah. Um, so I think, <laughs> I think that in this time period too, because there was value and respect yes. in these relationships, they both value, like, women and men, I feel like, from this time period, they valued each other, you know, in the ideal. Yeah. They value each other's purposes and strengths. Yes. And so I just really love that. I'm not sure that she did raise her voice. I think... I don't know if she did. You know, she who definitely knows? didn't pour the tea over and she. But thinking about, like, just the manners of this time period, of, yeah. you know, that there was, mm-hmm. there was respect and... Um, but still being able to share your opinion through that, I just mm-hmm. absolutely love it. Yeah. Not only just sharing opinions, but even, like, eventually, Eleanor does come, like, she does take more charge of her kids. She mm-hmm. realizes this lack that she's got, and she decides, no, I need to work with my kids more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need to really be a driving force behind them. And so she and Franklin, they decide that, like, when they start the CCC, their mm-hmm. sons are going to participate they're they are going to be the examples for the nation in mm-hmm. creating a new like a new um the new deal like mm-hmm. not not just that but like uh they're they're they believe enough in the policies that they've put in place that their kids are going to participate in them mm-hmm. that i think that's what i'm trying to say um and so they so they do um also interesting um before world war Two even starts on one of these little trips that they go on with their kids um one of their sons takes uh takes note and he's like wow there are there's lots of kids my age and there's lots of kids that are my older brother's age sorry i don't remember their names but but there's not a lot of people that are dad's age mm-hmm. there's not a lot of men that are dad's age and that at that point eleanor is like wow what an observation like clearly he's developed some of my skills just kidding um, <laughs> but also what an observation to see that like the toll that war takes like mm-hmm. generations later mm-hmm. well not just generations just a couple of years later yeah like there's a whole young generation like this is after world war one and so there's a whole generation of young men that died in the war mm-hmm. and this is some of i think this is really a lot of her hesitancy and probably fdr's hesitancy to actually even get into world war ii like mm-hmm. it's let's see hitler comes to power 1936 or before 1936 because that's when they we have the olympics and he's been pushing his very racist um eugenics on everybody um, so the 1936 Olympics are really huge because it proves that his whole thing about white people being the superior race is completely bogus. Mm-hmm. And then 1939 is when I believe he invades Poland. I know 1939 is a really important year, but it's not until 1941, not even nec- like 1941 is when uh, Japan bombs Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And then it's 1942 or shortly there, like somewhere in there, that we actually get into the war. So we get into the war a couple years late because we're like, nah, we don't, we don't participate in European politics. Yeah. But uh, when Japan bombs our place, like mm-hmm. we we get involved. Mm-hmm. We get involved. Because it's close Our to home. Mm-hmm. We feel that. Oh, yeah. Well, they were, they knew the casualties of war. We had seen them. They had yeah. seen them. Yeah. Just like he said, that oh, his yeah. father didn't even have uh, peers mm-hmm. very much. 
Yeah. The, the entire generation had been, you know, minimized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were valuing the lives of the American people. They knew the cost of war. They had seen it. And I think yeah. when we don't, when we stop seeing that, I think as Americans, we haven't seen war in so long. Mm-hmm. I don't think we fully understand the cost of war right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an idea that yeah. we have seen in generations. And right now, I don't know about you guys, but like my grandfather died relatively young. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so minded. they're not here to remind us of mm-hmm. the cost of war. Yeah. yeah. I do love Eleanor's quote. I hope you aren't going to share yeah, this later. But I think oh, it. I, I was gonna jump in there in just a sec. Like okay, okay. So let, let me give a little time out. Pause. Go back to and then come back to me. <laughs> so so, um, just like she did during the first little part of um, FDR's political campaign mm-hmm. and everything, she has she's now going as first lady to visit different camps, mm-hmm. um, and different places to give FDR a a personal report on how things are going there, mm-hmm. and so that's what Tam is about to read. Yeah. So, so as she goes into these hospitals, just again remembering the cost of war, which she had not, she understood, but I, at, until this point really hadn't seen up close and personal. It just was, a, again, kind of like in our generation, it just was an idea, a yeah. thought process for how to solve, solve problems. But she's like, at first I could hardly bear the hospitals. There was, of course, a certain amount of pure physical fatigue from walking miles of hospital wards day after day. But that was nothing in comparison with the horrible consciousness of waste and feeling of resentment that burned within me as I wondered why men, and I would say even sometimes women, could not sit down around a table and settle their differences before an infinite number of the youth of many nations had to suffer. There were times in the other hospitals when it was hard to accept the gallantry of the men themselves without showing how deeply sorry I was for them. I knew that was the last thing they wanted and that their brave front of casual cheerfulness was put on to prevent people from showing that they were sorry. Many of the boys I saw in hospitals are now leading happy and useful lives, but they carry with them day after day the results of the war. If we do not achieve the ends for which they sacrificed, a peaceful world in which there exists freedom from both from fear of both aggression and want, we have failed. And I think, just to me, I can't even imagine what this would be like to walk through these hospitals and see these deformed boys, probably, they, they're missing limbs, they're missing parts of them, and yet still being cheerful and showing on Obviously, this reactivity concept we talked about earlier, this idea of I'm doing great, I'm actually fine, I supported you, everything will be okay, just to make her feel a little bit more at ease. Do you know what I mean? And I just, to me, I think that would make me feel even more guilty than even just showing up trying to help them. I would feel targeted to be like, I can't help you. You know I can't help you, and yet you're still the one trying to comfort me, and you're the one injured. I would feel personally, if I walked through that, super, super guilty. And yet I think that she understood because Mm -hmm. she represents everything they fought for. Yeah. Yeah. She is literally the epitome in her her femininity and her strength Mm -hmm. and her American freedoms. She literally was the epitome of what what was fragile and good that they fought for. The American dream. Just consider this. Like, she is literally, like, these kids, most of these kids are between the ages. Sorry. Wow. This is a heavy topic. (laughs) This is a very heavy topic. (laughs) We are all, like, (laughs) teary-eyed. A lot of these kids um, are between the ages of 18 and 25. Yeah, she's a boy. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. she has been literally, and 
And that's not even counting all of the kids who lied about their age to Uh go fight for their country. You've got 16 and 17-year-olds, some as young as 15, who have snuck into the military to go protect and defend their country. Yeah. And, um, like, going through and thinking about that, um, like, this this woman that Mm -hmm. that is here literally is like your second mom yeah she is the face of your country Mm -hmm. like when you think like it's so funny when you always think about like and they always call it like well mother russia right like in for the russians and then the fatherland right like father germany right but no like this woman has come and she is like the mother of your country pretty much yeah and she is here to thank you for your service like these are not empty words no and they are like the best that she has to offer these young men yeah. but more than that mm-hmm. these kids these young kids like when so fdr dies in 1944 i believe like a year before the end of the war mm-hmm. and um i i've seen i i know that they did this at least in japan yeah. But one of the things that they, they did in prisoner of war camps to help continue to break the spirit of the American GIs is they went and they had all of the soldiers, all the American soldiers, gather together and then they would tell them, your president is dead. Mm. Roosevelt is dead. Your leader is dead. Yeah. Why are you still fighting? Yeah. And what more do you have to offer? Like, Ugh. just yeah. like... Like, it just hits them. Like, Mm -hmm. that is, like, that's how, that's the impact that these two people have had on these young people. Like, and um, the the moment that I'm specifically thinking of is from Unbroken. Um, I I don't know if you guys, once again, another Louis, can't remember. I think I've seen it. Zamperini. He was was a runner in the Olympics. um, And he was in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And they came and they told, like, they all gathered together and they're like, your president's dead. Yeah. Your president is dead. Like, And like, you just, like, the camera is on his face, Louis Zamperini's face, but you hear all across in the background yeah. men who literally begin weeping. Yeah. Because like, he's gone. Like, yeah. They really, really loved these two people. Sorry, wow. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's deep. <laughs> but, but I think it really highlights the impact and the power that these two women had, or these two people had, not both women, <laughs> but the fact that, like, they saw her as a mother, they saw him as a father, and they trusted her to carry on the work even after he died, right? Mm-hmm. She is going to be there for us. And I think, too, this highlights these boys, different than other countries, these boys were not forced. Some might have been drafted, of course, but, like, mm-hmm. they were not forced to go to war. A lot of yeah. them chose to go to war for America, for mm-hmm. Eleanor Roosevelt and, and Franklin Roosevelt. Just that was their choice. And just to think of the power and even the empowerment of that to say, I chose to fight for my country. I chose to fight for my mother and my father. And that I think is super empowering, which is why her walking through this is also hard because she knows that they chose to do that. And that's that's hard that we had to force them to make a choice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I just the power of these two individuals is like I think at this incredible. time at this time they the people mm-hmm. were so confident yeah. in in their understanding of what 
the American dream and the freedoms that America represents, mm -hmm. the value of that. Yeah. So even yeah. if they were drafted, they knew what they were fighting for. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, politically today, I don't think that we, we have become very complacent in our yeah. freedoms. And I just don't think that um, in, in all of the freedoms. Yes. So not not one topic of politics right now. And we won't go too deep. But no. I hope that someday we can get back to that kind of confidence and pride and belief mm -hmm. in our country again. Yeah. yeah. And also recognizing the work behind it. Yeah. Because yeah. I hate the, the phrase freedom isn't free. But it really isn't. Like you don't just get freedom and then get to do whatever the heck you want. I mean, yeah, technically is that freedom? Yes, but does that actually fulfill the American dream? Does that actually help you reach your full potential? No. Yeah, it's not like a gift box with, yeah. oh, here's the money and here's your, uh, oh, you want to be a baker? Yeah. Here is your entire business plan. All of your recipes. And don't worry, we're going to make <laughs> all the people in your 50-yard like, yard <laughs> radius buy your cupcakes, <laughs> whether they're good or bad. Right. Like, you will be successful. That's just not the American no. dream. The dream is I can learn what it takes mm -hmm. to be successful in the interests that I have. Yes. I can make that my life and I can learn to succeed or I can fail and I can learn all those many, yes. many things and I can either pivot and go in a different direction <laughs> or I can try again. Yeah. That is the American dream is yeah. to have something that means so much to you that it is worth your blood, sweat and tears. Yes. Just like these wars and leadership that we've been teaching yeah. about that is worth your yeah. time and your energy. Yeah. It's not that you don't have to put energy and time into anything, <laughs> but that you get to choose where you put that time and energy. Yes. And yeah. you get to reap the rewards yep. of your hard work. Mm -hmm. I know that anything that has been handed to me for free because of whatever reason, I just, it doesn't matter to me. But growing up with, in my family, it was very much a principle of you learn how to do hard work doesn't matter what the hard work ended up being. It might have been preparing the yard so that we could have a, a yard to play in as kids. It might have been finishing a basement so that we had a bedroom, right? Just principles like that, you see and you reap the results of what you sow. And the work that you put in is directly correlated to what you get out of it. And I think that's partly what we're missing here generally in America. Not everybody, of course, but understanding that you get what you put in. And if you're not putting in the effort, are you really free? Do you know what I mean? Are you actually using the, that principle of the American dream and those the principles that our founding fathers fought their fought for, literally died for, even World War One, World War Two, they literally died so that we could have freedom. Yeah. And in just a second, we're gonna come back. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt has her own thoughts on the American dream. We've yeah. kind of given you a, a little bit of an intro into some of our thoughts. Um, but we're going to talk about what she views as the American dream and how to protect it. Yeah. So we'll be back in just a second. So the, the third part of her autobiography is all about the American dream. Like, it's literally titled The American Dream. 
And she, once again, is, is actually really cool if you think about it. So she spent her entire life giving advice to the people that are going to make major decisions in the world. They're going to um, be leaders and politicians and they're going to make decisions. But this book, her autobiography, was written for the American people. And this last bit of advice, she takes her observations from across the globe, from every country that she's been to, most specifically, keep in mind, 1950s-ish, we are not friends with Russia. <laughs> um, and she's been to Russia, she's visited, um, and it's really funny because one of the advisors that she's talking to, he's like, can I tell them that we agree? She says, you can tell them we were friendly. <laughs> and he says, that will do. <laughs> like, anyway, because Russian propaganda and everything. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Funny side note. Um, but this time, the book that she's writing is for the American people to help them see behind the scenes of everything that was going on. And this last part, as she's giving advice on her personal um, observations and experiences in these different places, this is for the American people. Mm -hmm. This is the advice that she is giving the American people, yeah. which I think is really cool. And we wouldn't have it if she wasn't, number one, an amazing first lady, and number two, if she hadn't had these personal experiences. So, um, and it's all about the American dream. So um, I wanted to give a little bit of background for mm -hmm. some of the comments that she's gonna make. Um, so her one of her trips to Russia, she, she did several, because she was working with the UN and then she was also an ambassador. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's kind of a big deal to be the first lady of a war president who you were sort of allies with, but not really, but you hold in like really high self-esteem, or self-esteem, but you hold them in high esteem um, to have her come and visit your country, mm -hmm. um, especially when you guys are in the middle of a war, potentially, like Cold War guys, yeah. like that's what's going on. So um, keep in mind Russia, um, had their opportunity to have a revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. So Eleanor Roosevelt also lived through that, was not a victim of it, like Marie Antoinette, yeah. but she she was she lived there. Mm -hmm. um, it was a huge impact in World War One because Russia completely pulled out of the war to go have their revolution and to kill the Romanovs, which we'll talk about them later. Um, but so the, the communists, um, the Bolshevik Party, the communists, have been in charge of Russia for about 40 years. And this is an opportunity for, um, I was going to say Marie Antoinette, <laughs> this is an opportunity for Eleanor Roosevelt to go and see how the communist dream or the communist plan, the manifesto, has actually been put into place and how it's actually working. Um, and let me tell you what. Um, we're, we're going to talk about communism a little bit more later, but um, the idea that uh, you have um, a right to your family and a right to your kids is not, is rephrased, um, it, it's not part of the communist dream. Okay, so let's, let's just point that out real quick. And they're very bold about that. We don't believe in the family. Um, so a lot of these kids, she specifically goes to a school and basically, it's like she's gone into a training camp 
um, you've got little kids from 18 months old. They, they learned to walk and now they have been given basically like a little obstacle course that they have to go through and complete. And they have to not just complete the obstacle course, but they have to complete it in a very specific way. If they don't do it just perfectly, like if they just walk, like, so for, I don't even know how to give an example, like, <laughs> um, but if they don't do it in like just perfectly, they have to go back and do it again. And they, then they have to do it again. Mm-hmm. And unless they do it perfectly, they don't get to go out and play and they just get to keep doing this over and over again until they get it correct and until they get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing, so that's the first part. And number one, that's, you know, horrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and number two, that's like everything that is ingrained in them, in these young Russian children, um, begins when they, like literally as soon as they know how to walk, mm-hmm. perhaps even before they know how to walk. Um, and they are trained in such a way. Is this going on still now? Probably not. But at the time, this is what Eleanor Roosevelt was observing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, after that, she then um, sees like the older kids. They are given a trade. They're taught how to use that trade. But more than that, they're taught um, languages and customs from other cultures so that they can take this trade that they've been that they've been learning and they can go and integrate into other custom or other cultures, other countries, and then spread the communist ideal because this is clearly the best way to live life. This is clearly the best way to continue and proceed. Um, and this is like, this is just how every Russian child has been trained. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about her remarks on the youth. Um, first, and then we're going to talk about, um, like, the communist yeah. and then, well, we'll, we'll, very last. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, um, let's go to that part real quick. Do you want to okay. just read it? Yeah. So, let's see. From we'll start Russia. at Russia. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Tammy, do you want to read that? Cause yeah, I was like, you've been talking, so I can read for you. Yeah. <laughs> Full on four minutes. <laughs> Sorry. Six. Russia had trained its young people to go out into the world, to carry their revives and skills to backward and underdeveloped countries, to replace the missing doctors and teachers, the scientists and technicians, above all, to fill the vacant civil service jobs, prepared not only by training for the job itself, but by a complete briefing in the customs, habits, traditions, and trend of thought of the people, to understand them and deal with them. Where they go, of course, they take with them their Marxist training, thinking, and system. Okay, I want to pause real quick right there. Number one, just me personally, our American education system does not teach us any of that. No. We don't even have, like, we, like, you have um, a language that's required, but only one credit and one year of a language. We don't. Like, our history classes are mostly just American history, our geography classes. Like, you see all these videos about Americans who are stupid um, and don't know a whole bunch. What are we teaching kids these Mm -hmm. days? Like, that, sorry, just right there, like, starting with the education system, we've already talked about how important an education is. It was so important that if Maria Antoinette had had one, her head would not have been chopped off. And... 
we anyway we just need to consider that mm-hmm. parents well, out there think about it even in behavior when we're teaching our kiddos the biggest thing that we're teaching them is to generalize the skills so we teach them a basic skill in one setting but if they can't do that in every other setting that they're in they are going to literally be stinted for life right and that's kind of the problem with what we're seeing here in comparison, like Russia trained them in one setting, but they talked to them about where they were going, what they would be doing, why they would be helping them, who they would be working with. They went through all of those and trained them on how to do that. So they could mm-hmm. send them out into these countries. And, yeah. and now we look like the ideal because you know me, you understand me, you've got all of my cultures, my interests, everything. But they trained them that way. Mm-hmm. And we don't always train our kids that way. We say, this yeah. is how you should do math. But we don't take them to the grocery store and say, now let's practice math with percentages and discounts. Yeah. Now let's take you to uh, a refurbished store and learn how to compare prices. You know what I mean? Like, we yeah. don't we don't do that. Let's, don't, let's not have you design a slide and see how it works. Because yeah. that's, that's basic trig. Yeah. Like, so just that's principles like that, mm-hmm. in this particular comment, again... This is written by Eleanor Roosevelt about what they did. But in this particular paragraph, they did a very good job about teaching the skill and then teaching them to generalize that skill into multiple mm-hmm. environments with multiple people. And we don't do that. Well, thinking about, so the world today. So our, well, okay, our generation specifically is when they did this huge push for college. Mm-hmm. You could yeah. no longer go to trade school and be successful without a college degree. But even at the beginning of this time period, college programs were were actually more formulated to step into uh, a career, mm-hmm. skilled. Yeah. But now it has changed as the years have gone by. It is now you go to college, which you must have on your resume, or you will yeah. not even be considered. Mm-hmm. Um, it is all just general information. It has no skill set or yeah. very little to begin mm-hmm. with. So now you're expected to go to an additional graduate level school yeah. just to become more specialized and skilled. Mm-hmm. So it, this is a huge jump. Yeah. But I also love this too. In a way, I love this thinking because mm-hmm. of the world we're in today. Yes. Because when we were young, we didn't even have the World Wide Web. No. Okay, when, when I was little. Like, it was a huge thing. We had the dial-up. Yeah. We had dial-up like, dial internet. Up. Yeah. And well, it was, like, a huge thing in my house when we got the first computer. Yeah. Like, um, so thinking about how global we are now, these other countries, and I even read something recently. I don't know if it was on social media or if I was reading a biography or something mm-hmm. like that. But it was very much, like, new world events that they other countries train their people young or old to come and take valuable american jobs mm-hmm. and not against the american people they all again this is like the american dream let's yeah. prepare you to go get that american job and live that american life yeah but like we're not prepared in this global world where we can go anywhere we can communicate with any market mm-hmm. we're not prepared to infiltrate except at the highest levels of society yeah which i'm sorry but that's not where i grew up i grew up pretty on the low yeah. end of that totem <laughs> it's pole so funny yeah. that like every Everybody else in the world believes in the American dream and mm-hmm. sees the value that it has. And yet in America, we can't even say mm-hmm. the American dream because if you do, you are immediately a white supremacist and racist. Or you are part of the bourgeoisie or you are part of the 1%. You're super, like, like I said, you're super yeah. privileged. You can't even really 
like I'm not even sure that after this episode, because I've just made that comment, that we're still even going to be on Spotify. Like <laughs> we might be flagged and <laughs> goodbye, Queen's Podcast. But I, I do really like Eleanor Roosevelt, after she talks about Russia, she goes on and talks about America. Mm-hmm. And she says, and our young Americans, were they being prepared to take their faith in democracy to the world along with their skills? And just to answer her question, mm-hmm. no. no. Were they learning the language and the customs and the history of these new peoples? No. no. Did they understand how to deal with them? Not according to their own ideas, but according to the ideas of the people they must learn to know if they were to teach them at all? No. no. Mm-hmm. Had they acquired an ability to live and work among peoples of different religion and race and color without arrogance and without prejudice? No. That's why we see all of these things going on right now. Even in America, we can't... We literally... <laughs> Going back to her further comment, why can't we just settle this and just talk about it and figure out a solution rather than fighting about it, yeah, right? Why don't we have to die? Exactly. Why don't we recognize that there's an issue and solve it? I'm not yeah. saying I agree or disagree with any of those issues, but just the concept of any of this, we don't take time to learn about different people of religion, race, color, sex, class, etc. We really just don't take the time to learn that. And that does yeah. us such a disservice because she goes on and she says, the future will be determined by the young, and here is no more essential task today. It seems to me than to bring before them once more, in all its brightness, all its splendor and beauty, the American dream, lest we let it fade, too concerned with ways of earning a living or impressing our neighbors or getting ahead or finding bigger and more potent ways to just... Of- of destroy destroying sorry oh of destroying the world keyboard (laughs) and all that is in it and i i don't know i think that's really really powerful i just that's part of why i'm really loving studying all of the american like the the documents that created the american constitution the american revolution Mm -hmm. like the enlightenment is so important to me we literally don't teach the enlightenment in schools at all or if we do like i was in college during my you know i had an american um literature class where we you know never read common sense we never read the declaration of independence we talked about remember the ladies and then talked about how horrible john adams was because they forgot the women and they forgot the ladies and didn't have anything to do with it and yet we don't talk about how anyway okay sorry that's my little rant right there i'm very frustrated by it but um but then okay so the part that i actually wanted to say was along with that um is that we have in our founding documents in the documents that literally created and built America and that have given everybody the dream that we have that has inspired other countries alas not our own country Mm -hmm. Um, in those documents you have some of the most powerful phrases most revolutionary ideas ever like that all men are we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal Mm -hmm. meaning when you take it in context You've got, they are fighting against a king. They are fighting for the right to be represented by their government. Mm -hmm. They are fighting for the right to their own work and to their own property and to their own, to live their life the best they can. One of the things that he goes on to say is that among all the blessings and privileges that we have as men and as people are 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and to decide what is going to bring me happiness, mm -hmm. not to have somebody else make my decisions for me, not to have somebody else tell me what is right and what is wrong and what is racist and what is not, and to see for myself and to judge my own actions based on my own character and it, where I need to improve, I will. Mm -hmm. And to be able to say, I am going to be better, I'm going to do better, I am going to be the best that I can be because that's what we're promoting mm -hmm. is the best of the best. Mm -hmm. It's not like the, the American Constitution and the, the Declaration of Independence was not written by men who wanted a paycheck. Mm -hmm. It was written by men who finally wanted the opportunity to live in freedom and to find opportunities, to take those opportunities and to use them to not just better their own lives. We'll start there. Start by bettering your own life and getting yourself in a position where you need to be. But then after that, once you are okay, this is just a law of nature this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Once you have reached that point where your needs are met, where you are able to create and to build, and you've reached that self-actualization, that is when the triangle turns upside down and you begin reaching out to help others develop their needs, to have their needs met, to have them, all of that. And that is a choice that you make for yourself to help others. Like That is the American dream, to be able to provide for myself, for my family, for the people that I love, and then to reach out and help others mm -hmm. because I want to make sure that everyone I know and love is cared for as well. Mm -hmm. Not just the image of the American dream. Like, I want to actually live the American dream and I want it to be my decision. And I think that's kind of what we wanted to drive home a little bit. It's just that question, what is your American dream? Yeah. What do you have on your agenda? Are you doing anything to get to your American dream? Are you actually putting in the effort? Or are you passively waiting for your American dream to pass you by? Right? Like, and it's okay to be on different yeah. levels. Like, because we all have the, like, I'm thinking stage. Yes. Yeah. And then we have the, I'm going to create a vision board stage. <laughs> but then at some point, you really have to pull your energy and your focus together and put it into actualization. Yes. You yeah. have to start. And it can be, like, small little actions of, gaining a little bit more understanding. Maybe you need to learn a bit more of, you know, whatever particulars that you want to go into. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's just outreach, knowing the right people and mm -hmm. getting in the right position or place for more opportunity in the things that you are wanting to chase. Yeah. But yeah. so it's okay to be at different yeah. spots, but I think it is, which is our point and, and what we're actually all three of us queens are yes. working on actively in our own lives is are you are you being passive about it or are you taking action are you making progress mm -hmm. yeah yeah because you can be in a perpetual state of waiting because you don't have everything you need yet right yeah but if you know where you're going and you're actively thinking about it that would still be considered active passive i think is just letting life pass you by and either way is totally fine but what is what is your dream and are you actually working to get your American dream to come yeah. to pass? I love this, uh, a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt because we love her. Um, sorry, no, no, this is a heavy up. one today. Um, here's a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. This is a challenge to, com to democracy. This is the real challenge and it cannot be met by mere words. 
We have to show the world by our actions that we live up to the ideals we profess and demonstrate that we can provide all the people in this country with the basic decencies of life, spiritually as well as materially. In the United States, we are the showcase for the possibilities inherent in a free world, in democracy. If the lives of our people are not better in terms of basic satisfactions, as well as in material ways, than the lives of people anywhere in the world, then the uncommitted peoples we need on our side will look elsewhere for leadership. Mm. And specifically, what is the threat that she's talking about? Communism. She mm-hmm. is specifically mm. talking about communism. Do you want to jump into the next, that next paragraph there? I can read it. Perfect. It is not enough to say that we do not not that we do not like the communist idea. We have to prove that our own idea is better and can accomplish more. It seems to me that we must have courage to face ourselves in this crisis. We must regain a vision of ourselves as leaders of the world. We must join in an effort to use all knowledge for the good of all human beings. Mm-hmm. And I think again, pointing out without force, like just recognizing and showing that it is better than the communist ideal. Because I think, again, if we start to force it, now we become more communistic. But that balance of like showing that we believe in the American ideal and we know it works and it is better than the communist ideal because all people will get there. I think properly valuing mm-hmm. uh, the, the freedoms that we have and what has been paid for mm-hmm. us to have them, you don't have to use coercion yeah because then you have an educated people Mm -hmm. that understand the worth of what they have been given yes and then there's no need for tricks nope and we can just move forward with progress Mm -hmm. yeah i keep remembering like there's um there's this one photo shoot that i've seen of ronald reagan and he's with gorbachev who was the communist leader at the time like they were contemporary leaders and um Gorbachev, there we go. Um, and Ronald Reagan is literally walking through, and he's they've set up two like the the Russians set up their ideal kitchen setting for the home, and then the Americans set up their ideal kitchen setting for the home, and both of them, Reagan and Gorbachev, have not seen either of these settings and they have to guess which one is the American version Mm. which one is the Russian version and um, Ronald Reagan immediately like they both claimed the American one if I remember correctly they're both like nah this is this is what we provide when the truth was like the the Russian one is what the Russians had provided I definitely want to check and make sure that that story is legit fact check I do remember that those were pictures and that that like they did look at the differences between the America like what America allows you to work for and attain mm-hmm. versus what the Russian government would provide mm-hmm. for the people because that's what they thought they needed yeah when you are able to make decisions and choose for yourself, you have an opportunity, like you know what you need. Mm -hmm. You know individually what you need Yeah, and you can make that decision. I do want to point out really briefly, Mm -hmm. we're not hating on Russia. It's just at this particular time, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Like, I just want to clarify, we're we're talking about the communist versus American ideals and we're using Russia because that's the timeframe that Eleanor Roosevelt was working under. 
But it's yeah. not that we're saying we hate Russia in any way, shape, or form. Just to add that in there. Yeah. I think that's really nice, too, because truly, yeah. I think we're all very much respecters of culture and mm-hmm. different you know, different places of, in the world. And so we don't ever want to exclude or alienate any one party mm-hmm. over another. Yeah, so ever. Yeah. Please just know yeah. that as our listeners. Yeah. Yes. Um, also, so Tammy mentioned earlier about, like, when you work for something, it has more value. And I just wanted to say, that, you know, kind of to wrap up some of our ideas, um, especially versus, like, American versus communist. The communist, um, I don't know, plan, mm-hmm. dream, whatever we want to call it, it's, you know, it makes all these promises that they will provide certain things for you and that things will be easier and you'll have satisfaction. And I just wanted to share that when I went to college, I went to a very nice um, private art college. And it opened my eyes a lot to just different circumstances and things. But I grew up in a, in a small town in the middle of Georgia in the southeast United States. And... There just wasn't a lot. I wasn't exposed to a lot, but we lived very simply. And sometimes, in especially my early childhood, it was really hard to even provide food for our family. And we were not a huge family. So um, things were rough. So when I went to college, um, I went on student loans. And I don't think that they're, you know, for my personal circumstances, for me to have the opportunity that I needed, that's 100% what I needed to do. So I had student loans and um, that's what allowed me to have this amazing experience and gain insight and world travel and um, become who I am today. That's so much more broad minded and uh, just open to so much uh, than what I had already been exposed to. But when I was in class, I was, I had amazing people all around me, but some of them their family lifestyle allowed them to um, an ease of being in this school and having this opportunity. So there was often classes that kids did not attend class. Mm-hmm. This was a, a very expensive school to attend. So you're talking hundreds if not thousands of dollars per class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, and they were a little nonchalant. So it wasn't everybody. There was, you know, a, you know, certain, you know, circumstances, but they just took it for granted mm-hmm. that they had this opportunity to come to class to learn from these people and to develop their skills. And then I also saw, uh, you know, on the, on the flip side, some people that came from even smaller towns than I was from, um, even in the same state. Mm-hmm. So very, very poor areas, but they had gotten like either scholarships or also did student loans but didn't see the hard work that they would have to put through and the consistency that they would have to do. Um, so I saw the different, <laughs> I saw different circumstances. Uh, and certainly majority of the people that I met in college, they, they succeeded mm-hmm. and they did well, regardless if they attended every single class or not. Um, it was a beautiful place of mixing um, culture and background and creativity and expression and so many ideas. It was so amazing. But... There is this kind of idea of this is a pretty box of things that I can give you, mm-hmm. and this is a a toolbox of what I you know I can you can make put you together. can use you can use I'll give you the skill set and I'll give you some tools mm-hmm. and you can now create something. I 
I think I agonized. <laughs> I think I, I wish I, if I could go back to my college days, I would enjoy it a little bit more mm-hmm. um, and relax a tiny bit, just a tiny bit, guys. <laughs> but I was so intent that I had, number one, invested a great deal of money in this mm-hmm. opportunity, and I would have to pay it back. And it just really sunk into my core mm-hmm. <laughs> that I was lucky to be here, and I had to take advantage of every second. And if it had been given to me, I would not have gained what I gained from it. So to me, that's just like the clearest, um, you know, reward versus gift. Uh (laughs) Like, you know, like I gifted or I worked hard for something. And I just really, we just can't take for granted. So it's, to me, it's better, you know, the, the little gift People think you're going to be so much happier and have so much reward because it's easy. But at the end of the day, you are so much happier and like true joy within yourself and your life. And more, uh, we were talking about what, um, not contentment, but um, security earlier today. I don't know if it was before the podcast or not. We were talking about how Americans really are taught to chase security Mm -hmm. um, in careers, etc. Versus maybe creative um, arts and experiences, mm-hmm. um, and that that's a shame. <laughs> yeah. But really, you gain so much more if you work hard for it. Yeah, and I think that's what, again, that's kind of how we want to drive it home. What are you willing to work hard for? What yeah. is your dream that you're re- willing to work for? And really think about that so that you can, if you're ready to move for it, great. If you're not, what do you need to do to get there? But what is your your American dream. Yeah. Honestly, I I went through a little while ago and I was like, okay, why are diamonds so valuable? Why why do we value gold? And I've come to the conclusion because then you can also have like woods, like mm-hmm. different furniture that is incredibly beautiful and incredibly valuable as well. And there's only two things that are that make things valuable in this world. Number 1, either it is rare or number 2, it took a really, really long time to make it. Mm-hmm. And whatever you have the opportunity to work towards, whatever you have the, like, whatever you spend your time searching for and you finally find it, that one little thing, like that rare piece of goodness that you have discovered, that's what has value. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's what it is. And whatever, whatever your legacy is going to be, like, I don't know if you guys think about that as much as I do, but like, what what are you going to leave behind that is going to be valuable for other people? Mm-hmm. Like Eleanor Roosevelt, we've got her autobiography, but her entire life, like, why do we value her as a woman? Number one, she was rare, mm-hmm. and she spent her entire life working for something and building something that we value dearly today. Yeah. that we that that we see the that like she was protecting that same thing did mm-hmm. she start out knowing that she was going to one day you know be the subject of this podcast 100 no she had no <laughs> idea what a podcast was but and even she if she did there. she'd probably be like bless their hearts that's so cute <laughs> way to go young people in america <laughs> Like she even, believed in. Even beyond the grave and beyond time, she's still leading and teaching us today. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. Yeah. All right. We have talked your ears off. Um, yeah. Psych. We're going to cut that. All right. Well, we're going to end this episode now. I don't think that's any better. <laughs> 
Thank you for joining us today for this episode. We have, I mean, we have so many more words we could keep sharing and opinions yeah. with um, just covering Eleanor Roosevelt's life. Yeah. But I think we're inspired and we're going to continue our discussions on like communist life in our next episode as well. Yes. Yeah. Are you guys ready for this? This is our first clue. All right. are going to get a lot better, but our clue for next week. So next week, our the our woman of the week is a woman who grew up believing that America and blue jeans were the enemy, and now she would do anything to protect the land of the free and the home of the brave. And we will see you next week. Tune in. <laughs> see you at Tahiti. Au revoir. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. We post new episodes every Thursday, and we hope to see you again next week. To learn more about the women and philosophies we are discussing, or read about our, our adventures as we prepared for and recorded this podcast, please visit www.thequeensilkpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at queensilkpodcast. If you have comments, questions, stories, or fun pictures of you wearing a crown, you can contact us at thequeensilkpodcast at gmail.com. We will try to respond to all messages that we receive, but we will not respond to messages that are rude or sent anonymously. Thank you again and have a wonderful week. We'll catch you next time.